Yes, we have been considering how to know God for a year now. And this message has been pulled from the evening service, which is concluding Matthew, that we've been, we started early 2014. Whatever the years that adds up to when we finish Matthew this morning instead of this evening, because I thought this is an important message we all need to hear, and it's about our responsibility given here in Matthew. <clears throat> and it really, it goes along with how do people get to know God? As we covered last week, we considered the testimonies of quite a few people in the scriptures, particularly the book of Acts and their testimonies. <clears throat> what we have seen so far in Matthew 28 is the thing of great things. There is the great consolation that you have in the first 10 verses. They're all so sad. Jesus had been crucified. And they didn't remember what he had said. It would happen and he would rise again. And so <clears throat> the great consolation is that <clears throat> he rose again and he appeared unto them. And they were con consoled with his coming. So it was a great consolation there. And then we had in verse 11 to 15 that we considered last week, <clears throat> the great cover-up. The great cover-up. <clears throat> this is the biggest fake news <laughs> and it's a current topic <clears throat> that we have in the scriptures, I think. And the fake news is that Jesus didn't rise. And they went to all sorts of lengths to cover it up. We, see this, we saw the soldiers report in verse 11, which was true. They came to the religious leaders and told them what had happened. <clears throat> we became as dead men. And, uh, <clears throat> and then the, the fake news was suggested by religious leaders. Well, let's say he didn't rose again. Let's say the disciples come and stole him away. Lie. <laughs> Lie. <laughs> And so <clears throat> we have the Sanhedrin's bribe. The soldiers report the Sanhedrin's bribe. And then the Sanhedrin's lie in verse 13 saying his disciples came and stole him. And then they secured the soldiers. If this comes to the governor's ears, hey, would you trust these blokes? <laughs> I don't care how religious they were, how many garbs they wore, what sort of incense they were waving around. I wouldn't trust them with my life like these soldiers did. But they took it on board and the saying was reported in verse 15. So that's what we covered last Sunday evening. They took the money, a bribe, and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews till this day. You know, I've, I've always looked at that and thought, everyone knew though they lied and deceived the people. no. The common report that was given is that Jesus did not rise again and people believed it. The Jews still believe that. They still believe he didn't rise again. He wasn't God. He wasn't the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Andrew has just been putting out a tract in Israel and he said this at the end of his last prayer letter that came this week. Earlier on Thursday evening, I had been in a post office outside the, our region as I finished my business with the clerk, I, ha I handed her a new tract we've printed on the resurrection. And this is to Jewish people, remember? 
that still believed the lie, the fake news that didn't, Christ didn't rise again. She was excited and said she'd seen it on Facebook and now she has one. She also wanted one for the other lady working there. We don't use Facebook and have been only been distributing this track for a short time, but the Lord is blessing the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last night, a man who initially refused to receive one found me later and asked for one, saying that he would read it. Also, a number of others last night sincerely thanked me for giving them this track. So pray that the, the barrier would be broken down in the Middle East amongst the Jewish people that this fake news of that day is not true. It is true. And Andrew's done it up in the form of a, a newspaper report. The tract is like a newspaper report and handing it out and it looks like an old newspaper. And as they read it, they, they get that. Folks, <clears throat> that's a setup for another. And we covered this on, I mustn't preach last Sunday night's message, but <laughs> there's a horrible and hellish cover up coming our way in this world. And it's given in Second Thessalonians 2. And it's about resurrection. One day, multitudes will disappear. And the media will say and give an explanation for it. And the father of lies and his man, the Antichrist, will cover it up. And there will be a fake news job done so much so that the lie will be believed and he will be installed as God on the throne of this world. What we're seeing today is a beginning of world government coming we've got to do this on a world basis united states you're doing the wrong thing just isolating yourself let's do it on a world scale and it's it's coming <laughs> and uh, people will accept that you would want somebody to take control well there's a, a lie coming up about a resurrection but then there's going to be a hysteric reaction three and a half years later when two dead men that the antichrist has killed lie on the streets of jerusalem dead and they leave their bodies there they won't bury them and god has a, pur god has a purpose for that because what happens three and a half days later they rise and stand on their feet it's not like they disappear they stand up it says and then they ascend slowly and the people see them go they'll see a resurrection and it may be world news. It may be filmed. We don't know. It doesn't say that because it didn't have films. I couldn't say that. But then there's a fourth part of a resurrection when nobody can stop it. There'll be no fake news about that one because everybody that's not a believer will be raised. You can't stop it. It's God doing it. And so the old devil's a fake, isn't he? He's a liar and he's the father of it and he tries to cover up. That was the great, <coughs> the great cover-up, the great fake news, if we could call it, the great consolation. And to not, this morning we look at the great commission. This is another great thing in this chapter, the last verses that we read this morning, 16 to 20. Let us pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this commission you've given us. This world is without hope. People everywhere are despairing of what's happening. People are panicking. But Lord, for the Christian, we have stability, we have assurance, we know our Saviour is Lord and he will do what he will do and his will will be done. Lord, give us that confidence. If there are people here this morning and haven't got the confidence, haven't got 
their trust put, placed in the Lord Jesus, maybe today they would believe and trust you. Uh, minister to each one of us as we gather today and may you be glorified in what is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> This is not an optional passage. We have here an obligation that's upon every blood-brought believer. It's not a topic to be discussed. It's a word to be obeyed. This is a command of the Lord, these last few verses of Matthew. Go ye, go ye. <clears throat> and I've read this before. And I don't think it'll harm to read it again on Dr. Moody, as they call him, and his conversion, not conversion, his call to the ministry. Let me read this. Mr. Moody, he said, whoops, first page first. <laughs> I had never lost sight of the Lord Jesus Christ since the first night I met him in the store at Boston. But for years I was only a nominal Christian, really believing that I could not work for God myself. No one had ever asked me to do anything. When I went to Chicago, I hired five pews in a church. This is what they did in those days. <laughs> hired five pews in a church and used to go out in the street and pick up young men to fill these pews. I never spoke to those young men about their souls. That was the work of the elders, I thought. <laughs> After working for some time like that, I started a mission Sabbath school. Though numbers were, were everything, and so I worked for numbers. When the attendance ran below a thousand, it troubled me. And when it ran 1500, it elated me. Still none were converted. There was no harvest. Then God, God opened my eyes. There was a class of young ladies in the Sunday school who without exception were the most frivolous set of girls I ever met. Just as well he didn't live today. <laughs> One Sunday, the teacher was ill and I took the class. They laughed at my face and I felt like opening the door and telling them to get out and never come back. But that week, the teacher of the class came to the store where I worked. He was pale and looked very ill. What's the trouble, I asked him. I've never had another, sorry, I have ha had another hemorrhage in my lungs. The doctor says I cannot live on Lake Michigan, so I'm going to the New York State. I suppose I'm going home to die, he said. He seemed greatly troubled, and when I asked him the reason, he replied, well, I have never led any of my class to Christ. I really believe I've done the girls more harm than good. I never heard anyone talk like that, said Moody. And it set me thinking. After a while, I said, suppose you and you go and tell them how you feel. I'll go with you if you want. He consented and we started out together. It was one of the best journeys I'd ever had on earth. We went to the house of the girls, or the first girl, called for her. And the teacher talked to her about her soul. After he ex explained the way of life, he suggested that we have prayer. He asked me to pray. True, I had never done such a thing before. This is, this is Dwight Moody. 
This is his testimony. What he said, wrote down. <clears throat> Never done a thing to, before as to pray for God to convert a young lady there and then. We prayed and God answered our prayer. We went to the, to the other house. He would go upstairs and be all out of breath and would tell the girls what he had, he'd come for. Wasn't long before they broke down and sought salvation. When his strength gave out, I took him back to his home. The next day we went out again. At the end of 10 days, he came to me with his face, face literally shining. Mr. Moody, he said, the last one of my class has yielded herself to Christ. I'll tell you, we had a time of rejoicing. He had to leave the next, next night, so we called his class that night for a prayer meeting. And there God kindled a fire in my soul that has never gone out. The height of my ambition had been to be a successful merchant. And if I'd known that meeting was going to take that ambition out of me, I might not have gone. But how many times I've thanked God since for that meeting. The dying teacher sat in the midst of his class and talked with them and read John 14. We tried to sing, Blessed be the tie that binds, but couldn't. After which we knelt down to pray. I was just rising from my knees when one of the class began to pray for a dying teacher. Another prayed, and before we rose, the whole class had prayed. I went out and said to myself, Oh God, let me die rather than lose the blessing I have received tonight. We know the testimony of Moody and what God used him and how he used him. The next evening I went to the depot or the train station to say goodbye to the teacher. Just before the train started, one of the class came. And before long, without anything being prearranged, they're all there. What a meeting that was. We tried to sing, but we broke down. The last we saw of that dying teacher, he was standing on the platform of the train with his finger pointing upward, telling the class to meet him in heaven. I didn't know what was going, what this was going to cost me. I was disqualified for business. It had been, become distasteful to me. I'd got a taste of another world and cared no more for making money. For some days after, the greatest struggle of my life took place. Should I give up business to give myself to Christian work or should I not? I've never regretted my choice. Oh, the luxury of leading some, someone out of the darkness of this world into the glorious light and liberty of the gospel. Good testimony, isn't it? A real challenge to us today from Brother Moody of yesteryear. <clears throat> What is God's heart concerning lost souls? Let me just quote a few scriptures here. For God sent not his, his son into the world to condemn the world, but the, the world through him might be saved. Another one, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Then there's the parables of Matthew, Matthew 15. The lost sheep, a senseless sinner. The lost coin, an insensible sinner. The lost son, a senseless sinner. And the lost elder son, a sanctimonious sinner. 
I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. The conclusion of those parables. In 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing, thank you. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is God's heart. 1 John 3, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil, and the works of the devil is death. He wants us to die. He wants us to die in our sin and go to hell, but not the Lord Jesus. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? 1 Corinthians 3, I have planted, Apollos has watered, but God gives the increase. God is glad to give the increase of souls saved as we sow the seed. It talks about the seed of the word of God in Luke 8. He has committed unto us the word, the word of reconciliation and he has made us ambassadors for Christ. So what is God's heart? We see from the scriptures it leaves us in no doubt concerning God's concern for lost sinners. Let us read now and go through a few pointers here in Matthew chapter 18 and verses, uh, sorry, Matthew 28 verse 18. And Jesus came in verse 18 and spoke to them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. A powerful potentate, if you're following the outline there in the bulletin, is described here. All power is given unto me. <laughs> if we just look around at the universe... The one that spoke this is the one that created the universes with a spoken word and it came into existence. He has all power and he has all authority and he has every right to tell us what to do because he is a creator and sustainer of this, this world and ourselves. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 we read, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is powerful. He has power to save. He has power to change a body from being decayed to being resurrected and brought into his presence a new immortal body. God has highly exalted him. He has all authority. We have people in the world who love to have power and love to have authority, politicians and leaders, but the Lord Jesus has the final say. Every knee shall bow to him. Have you bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus? Come humbly to the foot of the cross and say, Lord, forgive me, I am a sinner and a deserving of hell. And know the transforming power of the gospel by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, the power that, well, we're right there, just before Philippians. I was reading from then, now in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19, we read this. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? We don't understand that that transaction of salvation, when it happens, 
There's a great and a mighty thing done that only God can do that is cleanse us from our sin. It's a great and wonderful transaction, a mighty power that works in us, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's the Lord Jesus. He has been exalted to a great position of power. A powerful potentate made this declaration that we have in Matthew 18 and verse 18. <clears throat> so we can trust it will work when he said he has all power. He has the power to make this gospel go out as we go forward. There's a personal plea that we have in verse 19 and the first part of that. Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore. Dr. Moody as we've just read the testimony, was challenged to go. A fire was kindled, he said, that night. If he'd known, if he'd known that that night would change him from being a businessman to being God's servant, he said he probably wouldn't have gone. Hmm. What did it profit a man if he gained the whole world fixing shoes <laughs> and lost his own soul? How many souls are in heaven now because he chose to do what he did? And to follow the Lord's leading in becoming a preacher of the word of God. Personal plea is go ye therefore. This is, this is a plea from heaven itself. You start thinking, well, why doesn't God just do it? <laughs> no, we have a will. We have a choice. And he invites us to come. And he invites us to come and go out for him. <laughs> And be a part of his work. This miraculous work of salvation. Go ye therefore. The book of Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 and following talks about the ministry of going. John, I mean Matthew, <laughs> Romans 10 verse 14. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him of whom they have not believed? heard and how shall they hear without a preacher go ye therefore you say but i'm not a preacher yes you are <laughs> we are all ministers of the gospel we have been it's been committed to us the word of reconciliation we are all ambassadors for christ we can go and tell the truth of the gospel we can share our testimony about salvation how shall they preach except they be sent? And it is as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of priests and bring glad tidings of good things. A personal plea from a powerful potentate to us today. Go ye. It's not up just to the preacher. We all have the responsibility of going and telling others. God's urged us to do that. How shall they call? How shall they call unless they hear? How shall they hear unless we go? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16 we read, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I mean, we don't need a show of hands, but how many has have had that opportunity to share their faith with somebody 
and to see the Holy Spirit working in, in that person's life. It's a real privilege, isn't it? It's a great joy. You don't forget those moments. <laughs> and I can remember the, the Meredith family that lived next to us and, and Ian uh, next door and we had some talks. And it, it came so that his mum was looking after their children and both of them were working and she poked her nose over the fence and said, you, you've been talking to my son? I said, uh-huh. <laughs> I said yep. <laughs> and uh, about the Lord, I said, yes. And when she said that, said it that way, I was a bit eased, <laughs> more at ease. And then we started talking. And she had met the Furlongs, who taught me Sunday school. And that's how she got saved, down at, at uh, Alcana there at um, Marysville. Huh? And they had old people's camps there. And we started talking, and we talked about her son. She said, keep doing it. <laughs> keep talking to him. And it was one night a few years later that she rung up and said listen I've got all my children in the house here and they want to hear what you've got to say <laughs> you know you don't get those opportunities it was wonderful <laughs> over in Wodonga policemen nurses they're all there all her children and their husbands and wives there's about 10 of them and they just kept asking questions till midnight <laughs> you just say Lord Give me more opportunities like that where God's spirit was working and some of them did respond and got saved. They're not in the area anymore. But pray for those sort of opportunities and, and, go, and, and when, when they come, don't say, well, I'm busy. <laughs> and No, just drop everything and go. Go ye therefore. A personal plea. There's a public proclamation we see in verse 19, the second part, or well, third part of that verse, and teach all nations publicly proclaim the truth of God's word our relatives remember the Gadarean maniac in chapter 5 of Mark and verse 19 he said Lord I'll go with you I want to go with you I want to be with you and, and that should be our desire to be with the Lord but what did the Lord say, say to him go home and tell thy brethren tell thy family what great things God hath done for you I mean they did, he didn't hardly have to speak they saw him in his clothed and in his right mind walking up the street and knocking on the door of mum and dad and all the neighbours were peeking out the window <laughs> what's with him how was he changed you see what a testimony he had what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart we are to publicly proclaim, as the Lord said, do that. And another time, the Lord went and met him again. And wonderful testimony. They of that day said when this maniac, this demon-possessed person got converted, they said to Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you here. But the next time he come over after the testimony of this man who went, go ye, therefore, and told his relatives they were willing to, to receive him because he had broken the ice he had shown what a difference Jesus makes publicly proclaiming teaching all nations our relatives our neighbours our country our world I, I, I hear people struggling with issues you hear it all around us it's, on the, it's in the media everywhere they're tr str struggling with what's going on and the Christians should be 
established, and Tim referred this in prayer, settled and strengthened. That's in Peter. And so when a person becomes a Christian, they get focused right and their life is settled. It's like Nebuchadnezzar, he, he, he had the right mind when he looked up and recognised the God of heaven. We can go out and proclaim that the Lord can give you stability, can give you strength and can establish our goings, as the psalmist even said. Poke your nose over the fence and talk to someone. It should be automatic in our lives, should it not? It should be a natural thing to do. We have found good news. We... <laughs> Today, when this pastor or not pastor, pastor, eat that stuff and toilet paper and things like that on the shelf, it seems that everyone texts each other and the place is crowded all of a sudden. Well, I've got good news. I've found food or something. It might be in the future like that because one loaf of bread is going to be worth a day, a week's wages. Or is it a, day, a day's wages? Sorry. In the future. That's what it says. Good news. I found bread. You know the beggars, they got saved. Uh, oh no, they were. I think they had um, that disease, leprosy, and they were going. They were feasting on the enemy's food. Oh, we shouldn't do this. We should go and tell them in the town we found food, and they did. <laughs> they weren't believed for a while, but they came out and, and and rescued the city from the siege it had been under. We have found bread. <laughs> we have found the Lord Jesus. We've got something you all need. And doesn't the world need it? It needs the gospel. It needs the good news. More than anything else I think they need, they need the word of... Our country has had the word of God and has set it aside. The Western world is saying, no, don't want to listen. I believe in the evolutionist and take me chances and I'll die and go to hell. Let's take the opportunities as they come and pro publicly proclaim to our relatives, our neighbours, our country and our world about the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and as I said, it should be natural. And I like the story of the two skunks. The two little skunks. There's in and out. And mother skunk who was in. Out was in and in was out. And Mother Skunk said to out who was in, go out and find in and bring in in. And so out who was in went out and found in and brought in in real quick. And Mum said, Mother Skunk said, how did you find in, I got it right, in who was out and bring in in so quick? And he said, in stinked. instinctively it should be in our lives automatically if we found bread we should share it and they hear the good news proclaim it what is the tendency I know it is I know it's in my life what is the tendency to keep it to ourselves I'm scared of what they might think they might put me down they might laugh at me. They might mark our house. It doesn't take long for them to mark your house if you live like a Christian anyway. So you're going to be marked. 
they notice you go to church, you're all dressed up, you've got a white shirt on or something, you might have a tie on, and you're going to church. They see that, and they might refrain from talking to you. <laughs> but keep on telling them. The permanent practice, verse 19, the middle of it, baptising them. A permanent practice we should participate in is baptising those that believe. And we went through those verses and things two weeks ago. Was it three? <laughs> and they that gladly received his word were baptised, it says in Acts 2.41. That should be a permanent practice of the church and has been down through the centuries. Acts 8, there in the Ethiopian <coughs> eunuch and Philip the evangelist um, shows us that. Romans chapter 6 talks about spiritual baptism likened to physical baptism. A permanent practice, a persuasive preaching, teaching them, teaching them. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 to 24, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ and him crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Gentiles foolishness. But unto them that believe, he is life eternal. And so preach the word. So bountifully. If you sow bountifully, farmers, hopefully, and it rains right, you reap bountifully. If you don't sow anything, you won't get anything. Let's sow the seed of the word of God continually. Let's be about our father's business. Let's be doing what he desires to be done. Let's practice what the Lord Jesus did and, and have the heart that he has. He came to this world to save, to seek and to save sinners. <clears throat> Persuasive preaching. And we could look at other verses related to that. But moving on to the next one in verse 20, the second part of that verse teaching them to observe all, all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And this should be a principle, a pertinent principle that we have when a person gets saved. Well, well, put it this way. When you have a baby arrive in your house, do you just lay it down and say, look after yourself? No. <laughs> you nurture and carry and clothe and clean the baby that it might grow into maturity. And so for Christians, we need to teach and to train and to keep on putting. That's why we have night classes. That's why we have a Bible study at prayer meeting. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have preaching and teaching to keep on doing what the Lord has commanded us to teach people. Let's see what Paul said to the young preacher, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And he said it over and over and over again, I think repetition is the key to success, and Paul practiced that. And he said to Timothy, do this. In chapter 2, verse 2 of 2 Timothy, The things that thou hast heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. And I think if you go through there, there's about four generations. Teach, 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 teach. Keep on passing the message on. Because this generation will go and another generation will come. They need the teaching as well. We sort of, well, we know now we can stop. No, keep on teaching. That's the principle 
of the word of God in chapter 3 and verse this is 2 Timothy again, chapter 3 and verse 15. <clears throat> of 2 Timothy, we read there, yes, from a child, Paul said to Timothy, Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Teach the next generation. Teach. And I'm glad that you're able to come and hear the word of the Lord, not just from me, from the teachers that teach the word of the Lord here at the church. And they'll carry it on to the next generation if the Lord tarries. And to the next generation, teach the word. First Corinthians one twenty three, as we read it before we preach, Christ crucified. I determined to know nothing, anything among you, he said, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, <clears throat> seventhly, we see the personal presence the Lord said to them, and lo, I am with you, and lo, I am with you. Does it say somewhere else in the scriptures that the Lord is always with us? It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of thee. And lo, I am with you. Are there other references where it refers to the Lord being with us? Look at the book of Ephesians and it tells us clearly if we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord is with us. In verse 14 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, well, we'll start with verse 13. In whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. When we believe on the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit never leaves us. We don't lose salvation. It's a permanent thing. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is with us. And that's why the Lord says, don't quench the Holy Spirit by sinning. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by doing the wrong thing. Because he's in our lives. <laughs> he's with us. And lo, I am with you always. I know in the sense of Matthew 28, it's talking in terms of the Lord will be with the church all the way to the end. But we have a personal promise that he, he is with us at all times. There's another one, I think it's in Ephesians chapter 4. I didn't write these ones down. But the personal presence of the Lord Jesus. And Paul, in Acts chapter 18, Paul was having a hard time of it and the Lord came to him and said, I am with you. Keep going. Don't quit. <clears throat> I am with you. Pro prolonged privilege. I am with you. And the word, next word is always, even to the end of the age. <clears throat> God has not forsaken his church. What did he promise in the Gospels? There. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church the Lord will always be in and with the church 
I think of where this coronavirus is having its worst effect is in Italy right now, in northern Italy. Lombard, is it? Lombard, thank you. (laughs) If you read church history, as I mentioned last week, that is where some of the greatest Christians lived in the early centuries of the church. And they were ones that held out against the forced submission to church authority. (laughs) They were independent up there where the coronavirus is hitting them hard. And it's apparently a very affluent place. I've never been there, but that's what they've said. These diseases don't pick and choose, do they? (laughs) Of whom, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. And... uh, His personal presence has been with us from those churches right down to the church. The prolonged privilege is he's with us always as a promise of God. And God will never forsake his own. As it tells us in Romans chapter 8. And this is a a great chapter along with 6, 7 and 8 of Romans to memorize and meditate upon. And to give oneself comfort in times, in troublesome times. In verse 35 of chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Shall persecution? Shall famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, said Paul, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us. We're his forever. A prolonged privilege. He is with us always, wherever we are. And the precious promises that we find in God's word, and this is not there in Matthew chapter 28 in this great commission of going out and telling people, but the precious promises of those that do go are contained in the verses on that last point. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. He who converteth a sinner shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Under the blood they the sins do go. Huh under the blood in 1st Corinthians chapter 3 verses 6 and 7 God as we mentioned earlier gave the increase when people watered or sowed and watered and God gave the increase only God can save he will save you know the prayer of the Christian once you've sown the seed in the life of a person you've gone out like Moody you've witnessed and testified our action then should be to pray for the seed that's been sown. The farmers here, when you plant the seed in the combine, you air seed or whatever you use, you plant the seed, do you go out there and sort of, come on seeds, come on seeds, grow, grow, you know? No, you don't do that. God has set it in motion within the seed that it germinates. God in the seed of the good news of the gospel has made it so that it will germinate but we need to pray that it does that God would give the increase (coughs) I think of Israel I think of Andrew and all the testimony he's given may God give the increase let's pray that God would give the increase 
Because only God is going to save those hard-hearted people. Any person, for that matter. Daniel 12 and verse 3. They that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever and ever. (coughs) I'm near the end and it's tickling me. (laughs) But they who win souls turn people to righteousness. Now, it's not that I want, you want to be up there and look at me, and you know, I'm a star. <laughs> no, that's, but that's the promise that we have in God's word, Daniel 12, 3. Proverbs 11, verse 30. He, you can finish it, that winneth souls is wise. Is wise. Another portion talks about using the mammon of unrighteousness that we have that we, to win people to eternal habitations. Not spending it on me, spending it to get them to be saved. Win them to eternal habitations. Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6. Probably one of the key promises you've heard before. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weeping, or weepeth, bearing precious seed, the good news of the gospel as we go, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Brother Dunn, you're not outdated yet. (laughs) Sheaves are in the scriptures. I remember the days when I was a child visiting the Mallee up in the little desert where mum lived, used to live and grandpa was still there. Little grandma and big grandpa, we called them. And they had the sheaves and they had and I think that's where cupcakes come from they built those things like cupcakes around that instead of having a hay shed and a sloping walls and a bit of a thing and then the roof and we've got pictures of mum and the brothers uncle ray and uncle orb and that building these cupcake sheds out of sheaves and and the pitchfork and they had the pitchforks there and they're up the stuff from the, from the old wagon with the horses on front of it, up there. So we all probably have had a taste or see in that. And it's great at the end of harvest to have all those cupcake hay sheds, whatever, and the water would run off. They didn't have to put a shed over them. But then to go down to the old shed and it was all slabs of wood that had been split, not sawn, and then see the, the, the chaff cutter sticking out to the side of the shed and with a hitch the bags on to it and they'd start the chaff cutter with all the belts on it and they'd stick out the chaff for the horses to, to do. And I can remember that as a, as a child. <clears throat> they were just stopping using them then. They had few horses left. They were into machines at that time. But the rejoicing when you bring the sheaves in. It's like maybe my generation more carting the hay it was usually I seemed to be the hottest and humidest day when you had to get the hay in and the and it was about to rain it was always about to rain <laughs> trying to get the hay there was the little bales at that time you you know throw them up and we didn't have a loader you had to do it by hand but to bring it in and get it in in the silo you don't count your chicken your wheat until it's in the silo <laughs> Hey, one day it's going to be in the silo of heaven. It's all going to be brought home. It's all going to be finished. But today is the day of sowing, of going, 
and, and one day the day of reaping. And what a wonderful day it will be. Those promises are in the word of God. There was a fellow <coughs> and uh, Brother Butler reminded us of this. I think maybe his last visit with us. A fellow was called Jack Williams. He was in America and he was fenced in like many of us in town are with a fence around all the, uh, the house and, and, and the neighbour puts a higher one so you can't see and don't talk to me. But he was sitting at home one day and said, this is not good, I need to meet my neighbours. And, and so his invention was he got a, a deck chair and he got some weather balloons which are pretty big if you've seen them and I found a few in paddocks and they're big white things. And <clears throat> he got them all and he attached, attached them to the deck chair, he tied the deck chair down and then he filled them all with helium. You know what he's up to, don't you? <laughs> it, <clears throat> and he said to his mates, now cut the ropes. And they cut, this has really happened. <laughs> and they cut the ropes and off he went. <laughs> and there's no controlling, he had a slug gun to shoot, shoot some of the balloons out if he went too high. And then there was a report from the aerodrome saying there's a man up here in a deck chair. <laughs> and they, they told the man, the pilot, get down, you're gone mad. <laughs> Land your plane. There can't be a man up there in a deck chair. And there was. <laughs> and when he eventually came down to earth, the, the media there, of course, <laughs> why did you do it? And he said, you just can't sit there. You've got to do something to meet your neighbours. Well, the whole world knew about him. I can sort of recall it when it happened. <laughs> you can't just sit there, folks. There's a message to give that souls who are going out to an eternity need to know. Let's go ye therefore. That's the great commission that's there in the book of Matthew. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the the word that's in our hands and our hearts and I pray that the urgency of the hour with the troubles the world's facing might prompt us to have compassion on them that are unsaved and take the good news that we might obey the command that's given we can't just sit here we can't just enjoy one another's fellowship we need to tell an unsaved world Bless the word as it goes forth today, wherever it is preached. For we ask in the Lord Jesus' precious name. Amen.